Welcome to Black's Academy and also welcome to our monthly market mix. Our monthly market mixes are designed to give our students a rigorous but expedient top-down look at the markets. And by markets, I mean more than just stocks. Our goal is to educate our students in a way that makes them better decision makers as a whole. It's October, and that means the fourth and final quarter of 2022 is upon us. Today's topics are going to, of course, start out with our normal market review to see where we've been in the last 30 days, and to some extent, maybe the last quarter. After that, we're going to get into the United States Federal Reserve, interest rates, and one important investment manager. After that, we're going to talk about a wild time in the United Kingdom and then take a look at the world supply chain. If you've been around for a while, you've heard that supply chain disruptions have been a thing since the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Well, we have a unique perspective on that as to why supply chain issues may be changing in the near future. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means for you. And lastly, on our main topics, we're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. real estate market and also offer an outlook as we head into the end of the year. Now, as we shift our view to equities, you'd have to be living under a rock to have not noticed that this has not been a good year for the stock market. 2022 has everybody in a headlock, so to speak. The U.S. market itself has entered a bear market in May and once again in September, and a bear market being a market when measured from its peak point to the current point has declined by at least 20%. If you look on the screen and see the indices that you know, and if you've been with us, you'll know two of them at least. The S&P 500 is down year to date about 24% and its tech heavy sibling, the NASDAQ, is down almost 32% as a whole. Individual stocks, as your portfolios may have shown you, are down even more. But it's not just a U.S. thing. It's a world thing. European stocks, Asian stocks, most of the indices, even into developing and emerging markets, which tend to be sensitive, highly sensitive to economic changes like the ones we've seen, are down heavily as well. So for a lot of the equity markets and the capital markets around the world, this has been what was considered to be a very rough, a very bloody year. But the reason we do these monthly market mixes is to show you a slightly different perspective. And mine in particular, once we get into the charts, will show you that even though this has been a rough year performance-wise for equities, we have to keep it in perspective of what has happened before this year. Let's take a look. Here we have the S&P 500 represented by the Spider ETF Trust, and we've talked to and through this chart practically all year. We can see that the beginning of the year is up here, this red arrow. This is December of 2021, January 2022, and it's been pretty much down most of the year. We had a short reprieve over the summer, 
And as I normally do, I have outlined the Fibonacci support levels. And you can see that we bounced a couple of levels through the summer and the market started turning up. People started to get a breath of fresh air before the markets resumed this downtrend. As such, in the last week or so, we've touched another pivotal point, which is this 50% retracement level. On the ETF here, it's a right around 349, almost 350 in value. I'm going to add one more level and then highlight another one. These are, to me, the most important levels for this year. But I also want to highlight that if we don't necessarily break these levels anytime soon, the market is honestly just performing as it should naturally. Nobody likes to think about the performance of their portfolio going down as being a natural happenstance, but in the financial markets, as we can look back in time, I have highlighted this is the coronavirus drop was one of the largest, fastest drops in all of market history. But even before then, we had a decline in 2008 at the end of the year before the market rallied up in 2019 into 2020, and we knew what happened in 2020. As we look forward, I'd like to remind that this is normal market behavior. I know I've said that before. It's important for investors to understand what traders do about the charts is that the market behaves in such manner where there's an ebb and flow. Right now, the pressure is clearly a result of inflation and the U.S. Federal Reserve and the other central banks moving interest rates higher, putting pressure on lending, putting pressure on businesses to do business at, at more expensive rates. This is what's taking some of the value or at least the perceived value out of the markets, but all is not lost. Similarly to the S&P, if we look at the NASDAQ, we pretty much have the same story, and that's kind of what I want to point out. As you're looking across these equity indices, if you look at the top line numbers, it looks as if everything is bleeding sure, but we're moving down in an orderly fashion, maybe even more orderly than it was when we were moving higher, but nobody really cares as long as we're moving higher because that means we're winning, that means our assets are growing, et cetera, et cetera. But for those astute investors, for those traders, as you notice this orderliness to the market, that should give you an indication that there may, in the very near future, present key opportunities for the market, or for yourselves in the market, rather, to start buying, to start finding opportunities to right the ship, so to speak, maybe even rebalancing your portfolio, looking at quality investments that you may have missed or as we're looking forward, like we're talking about with our ride strategy, maybe it's some markets that you had not even considered. But in the S&P, we were touching the 50% retracement. The NASDAQ being more volatile here, you can see that now last week, we're touched to 61.8, which is a very important Fibonacci number. As long as we stay with these levels, all is not lost. 
And we've stated before that the Russell 2000, which is a small cap stock index, which small cap stocks are more sensitive to economic changes, especially to the downside than some of the larger cap, more robust companies. The, this Russell 2000 index has for us been what I call a canary in the mine and being able to sort of, uh, I wouldn't say predict, I don't like the word predict, but to give us a clue about what's going to happen next. It is slightly different than its NASDAQ and the S&P compatriots in that it is below a lot of the support levels that we ironed out over the last year. What this means to me is that there's still the going to be some downside pressure, maybe to this 57.3 level or maybe to this pivotal 61.8. And so as the markets themselves start to move lower, maybe take a, a closer look at the Russell 2000 index. IYM is the ETF that approximates this and it's easy to find on any trading platform, investing platform. Watch the levels around 159, 160, maybe 150. As the market maybe starts to firm up around these levels, this may give some indication that we're going to start turning and maybe go up. If not, then it starts to break lower. The Russell may break lower quicker than the S&P and the NASDAQ. But why this is important is this. Even though it may move quicker than the other two, they're all three are very correlated. And since they're correlated, as one moves, very likely the others will move as well. What's been interesting about this year is that when markets sell off, generally speaking, where there's not necessarily a paradigm shift in the larger macro economy, you'll find a negative correlation Again, an opposite relationship between stocks and bonds. But as we can see here, looking at the iShares aggregate bond ETF, which tracks a multitude of domestic bonds, which are supposed to counteract a uh, negative stock market movement when the stock market goes down, bond markets are supposed to go up. But you can see here that that's not the case. In fact, since late in 2020, this aggregate bond ETF has been under tremendous pressure. It peaked out before, oh, more than a year before the S&P and the NASDAQ did in the stock market. And that's very, very concerning to some because what this means is that there's a wholesale change in the perception of the economy going forward. And what I mean is for the last at least 20 years, Large-scale institutional investors have counted on this negative relationship between bond markets and stock markets to hold in such a way that they could hedge their bets. They could hedge their portfolios. If they were buying stocks, they could also buy bonds to offset whatever happens or short-term volatility in the stock market would be made up. But as we can see here, the bond market has had a tremendous sell-off and it looks to be continuing. Now, looking at it technically, I see levels that maybe some support maybe around this 94, maybe 95 area soon, 
So there may become some sort of reprise like we're seeing in the stock market. But until then, we can see that the trend here is clearly expressively down, just like in stocks. And this is, to some people, unusual. But if you go back farther enough, you'll learn that the last 20 years is not necessarily indicative of what always happens between the relationship between bonds and stocks. They're not always inverse. In fact, we had probably one of the biggest runs that was positively correlated with stocks and bonds going back from the 60s and through the 80s. And it just changed as we changed uh, going into the 21st century. So I don't share a lot about the bonds, but I wanted to, in this last monthly market mix, show that this is one of the reasons why 2022 has been very unusual in that a lot of the old adages and old strategies of how portfolios are constructed no longer seem to work. And speaking of alternatives, one of the other interesting things is that as we look across the world and go to this new area of cryptocurrencies, one of the things I like to point out, the fact is, even though cryptocurrencies were lauded as an alternative investment of sort to stocks, one of the things that was shown since this time last year is that most of the cryptocurrency market expressed itself as a risk market. And what I mean by risk market is a risk market like equities, like some of the al other alternative markets, go up in value when investors are able to take on more risk when they're more excited about the future than they are now. But however, as the macro economy has slowed down, as interest rates have taken centerfold, as inflation has shown itself to be an issue, you can see that Ethereum shown here, Bitcoin, start naming your coins, have started moving just like the other risk assets, just like stocks. So as long as investor sentiment is in the pits, cryptocurrencies have followed. If you don't believe me, I'm just going to show you an overlay of the S&P 500 against Ethereum. And Ethereum is like the S&P and NASDAQ. Ethereum is strongly correlated with Bitcoin. The reason I charted it is because the levels, the technical levels that I have shown here are a little bit cleaner than I saw on Bitcoin, but also to emphasize that correlation exists outside of just the namesake Bitcoin. Now, much like I'm seeing in the S&P 500, there's a chance that right around where we are now, around 1300, 1315, maybe a little bit lower, you can start to see a sort of basing in Ethereum. And that makes sense because if this correlation that I'm talking about has any validity, as other risk markets like stocks start to find support, you'll find that investors in these alternative markets like crypto may also start to become more bullish and we'll start to see maybe appreciation in prices in this fourth quarter. But there's probably a lot of things that have to happen for that to happen. And that's going to once again point to what are the conditions in the macroeconomic environment. And for that, I like to turn to a couple of the charts and a couple other assets, namely my favorite chart for this year. My favorite chart this year was, of course, in crude oil. I call it my favorite because it presented on a very large scale 
one of the better patterns that you might see in the market. One of the ones that we recognize immediately because at Black's Academy, our technical analysis is very pattern-based. And that pattern is, of course, is ABC flat, which presented itself at the high in June of this year. Since June, we've come off precipitously in oil prices, but notice we've come back to a support level and bounced really hard as prices were going lower. You've seen them as the prices of crude oil have finally caught up and gasoline, rather, I should say, caught up with crude oil prices and reflected lower prices at the pump. However, you can see that we've clearly had a bounce here. The prices have come down to this area, which we already hit ironed out. This is not new material at all. In fact, as I'm showing you here as price action support, there was also Fibonacci support at this level as well. And you can see that we touched those levels and we've moved higher. And now we seem to be sitting on top of prior support. And that's a very typical thing of the markets in one level that may have provided resistance in the past, like October 21. As the market breaks through it, the market will trans ba transition back through it again. And that level may some, provide some support where it was once resistant to the price. This is a key technical analysis feature that I think investors also can take advantage of once they learn it. And of course, where you can learn this is at Black's Academy. As such, as I look forward, the argument for higher asset prices in risk assets like stocks and like crypto and even maybe bond prices as well, we can look at crude oil prices which again, to me, is the lifeblood of the industrial world economy. We can look to see if we start to base here at around $85 on the continuous contract and move higher. I honestly thought that we would move higher at the end of the summer. But as we started to bounce that level and move higher, the larger economy started to feeling the pressure of higher and higher aggressive interest rate heights from the central banks, namely the U.S. Federal Reserve and most of the G7. That being said, if those banks continue to raise rates to address inflation, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment, this crude oil price may resume its trip lower instead of higher. But for right now, we're sitting on a short-term support, and it looks like we could drive higher into the fourth quarter. Speaking of the Fed, and also speaking of interest rates, I'd like to take this time to put our current situation in historical perspective. Right now, the U.S. Fed has been extremely aggressive in hiking or raising interest rates. In fact, this has been the quickest that the Fed has gone from a near zero interest rate policy to where we are now. And this makes sense in context of what the Fed has in terms of tools to address are rapidly rising inflation, which we've already talked about before 
is at its highest point in the last 40 years. And we measure the rate of inflation by the Consumer Price Inflation Index, also by Personal Consumption Expenditure, PCE, which the Fed is keenly tracking. And by both measures, we're at the fastest pace of inflation. But many in the economic world are worried that the Fed has moved too quickly. And this is to be expected. One of the reasons that a lot of economists, market participants, investment managers, you name it, are taking this worried approach is because oftentimes, because of the complex nature of our economy and also how the indicators like CPI, PPI, and PCE are developed, it often takes months for these economic indicators to reflect the changes that have been spurred on by the interest rate heights. Remember, when you lower interest rates, it tends to have a stimulative effect on an economy. It spurs on growth by allowing money to flow freely and in rapid circulation. Uh, the monetary velocity is higher. But when you raise interest rates, it makes borrowing more expensive and therefore makes money itself in the broader sense more expensive as well. Furthermore, some of the changes since March when the Fed started its aggressive rate hikes may already be factored in. We may be seeing some of the effects already. One of the more meaningful ways that you may already see is in lending with respect to automobiles and also housing. But we'll talk more about housing as we move further along through this monthly market mix. For now, I want to bring a little highlight to one of the stars of the investment world of the last decade, and that's Kathy Wood. Kathy Wood is the investment manager over ARK Investments, which is a $13 billion at its peak investment firm that focused on ETF investments that were mainly in the tech space, in the innovation space. Kathy Wood gained great acclaim in the last few years by championing, championing 14 ideas which she and her investment analyst crew, which her crew is a diverse group in and of itself by design, they thought these 14 ideas will be the 14 things that will go about changing the world from a technological standpoint. As of late, Kathy's been lauded by her investors, by the media. She's really become, like I said, a star. But as you might imagine, in the last year or so, her ARK investments has been under tremendous pressure. Just like the markets, what goes up comes down even faster with her investing billions into the tech space. These high beta or high volatility, high riding, tech heavy investments suddenly changed 
seemingly with the wind, and she finds herself an ark with a lot of investments that have lost heavily in the last year or so. In fact, you can track ARK's investment meteoric rise and its fall along with the tech sector investments like we saw with the NASDAQ, also with small caps. And as a result, Kathy has now started to do what you see other fund managers do once they get a little notoriety and a little fame, as you will. She wrote an open letter to the Fed about her concern about the interest rates. She said that the Fed seems only focused on two variables that are lagging indicators, as we talked about. They're lagging behind the actual what's happening now, which are downstream inflation, as she calls it, and employment. And the Fed has a dual mandate to address employment numbers. But for her, she says that the Fed has raised rates too fast, and she's calling on for the public to kind of join her in this and hopefully from a political perspective or maybe a public opinion perspective, stop the Fed from raising rates. And for her investments, it is definitely that important that she's do so. And the reason is simple. ARC investments flourished in the low interest rate environment, as you would expect of things about tech and innovation. The reason is simple. When you're in the tech space, it takes a lot of time for innovations to mature into businesses that can be profitable. What sounds good, what sounds exciting, what sound, what is innovative and future forward thinking often takes a lot of time. And these investments tend to have long time horizons. However, if you're an institutional investor, your private equity investor, or you're an investor like Kathy, these long-term windows don't cost you as much in a low interest rate environment. This is where money is cheap. However, as the Fed starts raising the cost of money by raising the benchmark rate, it costs more to lend. So her investors are now more sensitive to their money being held in these long-standing innovative projects. They become a lot more selective. And as such, you can see Arch, their flagship ETF has gained almost 1,000% in the last 10 years, actually less than 10 years, but it's dropped 77% in just the last year and some change. And I tell investors this all the time. It does not matter if you make 100%, 1,000%, 1 million percent. It doesn't matter if when the pullback happens, you lose most of it. And Kathy's feeling this, a lot of investment managers feeling this, not just in tech space, but as equity markets have crumbled overall, everybody is seeming to feel the pinch in this space. And so rate cuts would be a good thing for ARC or at least hold them where they are. Now, while we can debate all day about whether the Fed will raise rates continue or to hold where they are or even cut rates. That's a matter of debate. But for now, if you really want to know what the Fed has in sight, because I can tell you they're not planning on changing course. They're not changing on how they look at the economy right now. So 
the best bet for us is to look at what the Fed looks at and therefore getting understanding of what to expect. And as such, this week, the September CPI, which is, again, always one month back, the report in October, what happened or what was observed in September. And this week we saw that consumer price inflation was hotter than expected again. The headline number, which includes energy prices, was up 0.1% more than expected. But the core inflation, when you look at some of the components that don't include food prices or energy, was up even hotter to its actual highest reading in 40 years. So back during the summer, we had the highest reading in the headline at about 9, 9.1%. But the core is still getting hotter, even with the Fed raising rates. In September, when we were talking about August numbers for the CPI, it was one of the worst days of trading in 2022. This week was the same thing. The market volatility increased tremendously on this CPI report. And as we go forward, I want to remind both traders and investors that news events have an effect, but not to the same degree. And depending on what the market values or the market is anticipating, and right now it is CPI over just about everything other than the rate decisions themselves, these news events are going to induce a lot of volatility in the market. So it would behoove you, even as an investor, maybe to look away and say, I'm not going to worry about it. Or, but as a trader, knowing when the CPI report is going to happen, and it's most of the time going to be on a Wednesday, sometimes on a Thursday, they're about a month apart. Be prepared for these because these reports, like some of the others that we have discussed, like earnings reports for individual stocks, offer what we call playmaker opportunities across several markets, not just stock market, futures, forex, tons of markets, even the bond markets play into this. And this week's CPI was no exception. The CPI report was an example we used in our first week of our fall boot camp to show Blacks Academy students and future Blacks Academy students how we get down with analyzing the market behavior before the report to show what can happen after the report. And this is important because this chart's a little busy, I get it, but what our new students and the general public who came out to view with us saw ahead of the news that you don't know how you don't have to know the news, you have to know the patterns. And we showed one of our classic Elliott Wave patterns in action ahead of the news. We saw what happened on the news and we showed how we use certain measurements in the market using market data to give an idea of the bounds of the possibilities. And this takes a lot of the shock and all that gets traders confused and often contributes to them losing more money than they should. And we reshape that and give them bounds of knowing what to expect so that they can make the plays. We call this our make the play PTA once we discuss this. And as we're showing here on the NASDAQ, this classic pattern 
basically played itself out. Our boot camp was happening through here. We thought that it would come up to this level and then move lower. That wasn't by accident. And what's more is that this presents itself in not just the NASDAQ, but also the same patterns, just slightly different, we saw in the S&P 500 as well. And if we go over to currency markets, we will see the same things. These are the things that we talk about in our Blacks Academy Bootcamp to show how we differentiate ourselves and our education from everything else that you're seeing. As we show here, and again, I understand if these charts are busy, but if you're one of our students or you've been to some of our sessions, you kind of know. So this is just showing the same thing that we showed on the NASDAQ, showing that the same effect can be felt across each different market. And no matter what you play, you can find an opportunity if you know what you're looking for. But now as we roll on around the world of what happened in the last quarter or so, we don't have to go very far to find a little bizarre. And I highlight this just to show that there's more of the world of finance than just what goes on in the United States. But one of our close partners, allies, militarily, economically, is the United Kingdom. And they had a bizarre end to September. Recently, they had a new prime minister, Liz Truss, and her new economic chancellor came in to do what seemed at best lunacy and at worst, maybe malicious. And what that was is they proposed a tax cut. A tax cut. And before you begin, just to give you some context, most people might think that cutting taxes is a good thing almost all the time. But in the world of economics, especially one in which so many things are tied together. At a time like this, where not just the United States, but the entire world, and especially an island nation like the United Kingdom, has seen multi-decade highs in inflation, tax cuts, just like cutting the benchmark interest rates, is stimulative to the economy. And what it does is will drive inflation likely higher. So the idea of a new finance minister and prime minister coming in, thinking that this was going to solve things and not exacerbate problems just shows to me the gap between politics and actual understanding of economics. And as such, the British pound, the currency, for the United Kingdom dropped precipitously, like it had a mini, as people would call, crash in just a few days because market participants, everybody was so shocked by what they were proposing that it just did not make sense. And this drove the British pound to near what's called parity, almost where one pound equals one dollar. And if you've been around in the currency markets or even if you're well-traveled, you'll know that the British pound has historically been much higher, as much as two and a half dollars to pound. As of the end of September, they almost were one to one. So if you were looking to buy some real estate and could move really quickly or maybe just go on vacation to the UK, you had a pretty open window to do so. But this was the largest negative impact on the pound and 
potentially on the British economy since the Brexit vote in 2016. Again, for currency traders, people who know these markets and know what to do, this presented a huge opportunity across the British pound versus most of the major currencies like the U.S. dollar. The dollar gained huge. The Japanese yen, almost all of the major currencies gained as the pound sunk under the pressure of this proposed tax cut. It may be a little counterintuitive, but this is another thing that happened that is still having effects in the market. Because of their nature, it's unusual for currency markets to see very sharp moves like what we see here in the British pound versus the U.S. dollar, where it's down almost 8% in just a few days and then back up almost 11% in the next week. Because of the nature of currencies and that, again, when you're talking about a local or domestic currency, everything that you do in the financial world, from your cup of coffee to your gasoline to everything is priced in the currency. And so these swings have immediate effects on the price of goods and services. Uh, and that's even before you get to the higher levels of finances, investment, things of that nature. So. For a prime minister and a chancellor of economics to come in and cause this much chaos, it was no surprise that the chancellor, Horting is his name, was asked to resign. And a lot of people are still on Liz Truss's head to resign herself. Now, whether she will or not is something that we may keep you updated with, but as a first step it was a really bad one in terms of leadership and understanding of economics. And I remind you of this only to say that do not expect your politicians, whether it's Liz Trust or the United States president, wherever you live, to have your best interests in mind because they might not have all the facts on what would happen when they introduce certain policies. Now, around the world, one of the things that we have to Pay attention to as we look forward to close out 22, but also to look forward into 2023, is that much of the global economy has seen rapid rises in inflation in most parts that are the developed world. And you can see that interest rates have had to rise to keep things in check. Much like the U.S. Federal Reserve, most of the central banks use their benchmark interest rates as a pedal of sorts to keep their economy moving at a pace at which they would like. The interesting thing here to pay attention to is that as the world is connected, and you can follow these, this connective tissue, this economic and informational connective tissue, to see that trading partners like the United States and Canada and the UK and the EU as certain ones will move their interest rates, their trading partners have to adjust their rates as well. And this is to facilitate trade. If your trading partner raises rates too much, then certain there's going to be an imbalance in exports and imports that will affect your local economy. And so as these rates fluctuate, 
I, there's no room to see that there's not going to be fluctuation in the future. That's not necessarily a guarantee, but the expectation going forward is that we're going to have fluctuations. Some places in the world are going to continue to raise, like in the United States. It seems, given our situation, that the Fed is expected to raise rates in November when they meet and probably into 2023. In other places, they may meet their inflation targets much faster and they may hold off. But as some rates rise and others stay the same, these create what's called interest rate differentials and those present opportunities in the markets. First and foremost, currencies, but also commodities and even equity spaces and emerging markets. There's opportunities for traders and investors. You just have to know how to use the information. And though inflation itself seems to be a really sticky topic in economics going forward, one of the other sticky topics since the coronavirus pandemic has been supply chain. If you talk to anybody, you've had some sort of issue with getting a part or a feature or electronics, automobile, durable goods, furniture, you name it. Shipping has beset, been beset by logistical supply chain issues. One of the main things, other than the brokenness of some of the supply chains or maybe the inefficiency of them being too efficient, has sort of had us hamstrung through the coronavirus pandemic. As we've opened up, one of the things was simply demand. Demand for goods, given that there was such stimulative efforts from 2020 into 2021 by a lot of, a lot of sovereign governments, there was a lot of pent-up demand for goods while also scarcity for certain things. This is something that I haven't thought about in years, but I saw it brought up again and I had to get back into my macro fundamental bag. And that was to bring out the dry, the Baltic dry index. You probably never heard of it before if you haven't been in finance, but this is simply a measure of the cost to ship bulk commodities to and fro around the world. And as you can see from the chart, it peaked in the fourth quarter of 2021 and the prices have been tumbling since. This is a good thing for the supply chain. And as we seem to have a gloom and doom about there being a recession, one of the better things that I see going forward is that if the Baltic Dry Index does track costs as well as it has in the past, and there's no real reason to think that it wouldn't going forward, is that lower readings here should presage lower costs of shipping goods, which will make things go a little bit smoother as we would expect. And if this is the case, there may be some opportunities there in this space to look for opportunities in the market. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the week to come as we focus on our ride strategy, which remember, we talked about our ride strategy last time. It is reflation, it is recession, inflation, and decelerating economics, how to invest in this sort of environment. And we definitely have inflation. Whether we may or may not have a recession, we definitely have decelerating economics. So we talk about how investors can take advantage of the information that they have, like knowing that the supply chain may be getting better and make better decisions in their investing based on that. Also up, 
and I haven't spent a lot of time here, I wanted to talk about real estate, especially real estate in the U.S., because one of the things, depending on who you ask, you may be encouraged to buy a home or to participate in real estate in an inordinate fashion here, or you may also see information that tells you to stay away from in, uh, for, from real estate, particularly U.S. residential real estate. So I wanted to take some time to really reflect on what the changing environment of money becoming more expensive as a result of interest rates going higher and what that does to the housing market. Right now, the average house costs about 400 almost $430,000 as of July numbers. I can remember back when that cost was about a third of that. That shows somewhat my age, but it also shows how much we've had this rise in asset prices over the last 10 to 15 years. What's good on face value is that, believe it or not, prices in real estate have fallen in a lot of areas, especially your coastal, your high-density urban areas, you've seen a big pullback in these prices. And that to you may seem like, hey, this is a time to buy interest, buy real estate because who knows what the future may bring. And that may be true, but I like to highlight the fact that whether you're a buyer, you're a seller, you're a realtor, you're a broker, no matter where you're getting the information from, your personal situation, your personal financial situation has to come forward and there's no one set answer as to why you should buy or sell. Because one of the things that we can see is that prices have fallen. They pull back. If you look at the core logic case, Schiller price index, if you look at the median listing prices, you can start to see on the charts that they pull back but they're still elevated relative to 2020, 2021. And there's another part of it that we've actually already talked about, but I want to bring it to the forefront. And that's the fact that with higher interest rates, it's going to cost you more in the very near future, the next six to 12 months at least, to purchase a home. Because as the home prices may come back a bit, the actual mortgage that a lot of people use to finance the purchasing of their homes have gone up significantly. For example, if you have a $500,000 house in 2021 if, or any time that you could have gotten an interest rate of 2.5% locked in on a 30-year mortgage, you're paying $19.37 a month just for the mortgage. This does not include any taxes or insurance or anything of that nature. Just one year later, that same half a million dollar house is now $3,300 a month. That's a pretty significant, a 71% increase just on the mortgage alone. And this is due to the Fed raising rates. And as we've talked about, until inflation starts to show that it is actually being contained, the Fed has every incentive according to their playbook that they should continue to raising rates. So you can expect that maybe in 2023, the interest rates on these mortgages may be even higher. Auto loans, you see the same thing. For that, for new cars, old cars does not matter. 
the price of credit of lending has gone up. And this is something that Americans have to consider in their individual situations when they want to say, hey, well, is now a good time? Also, keep in mind that we talked about the CPI, the cost of living as expressed by utility costs, insurance premiums, food, everything else, maintenance that goes along with keeping and sustaining a house also are going to modulate higher as the Fed rates go. So these are things, again, not to dissuade you, but to inform you so that you can make a better educated decision. One of the other things that we advocated at Blacks Academy is that once you're making these types of decisions, it is good to get a financial advisor or planner to help look at your budget from an impartial sort of broader view so you can make the best decision for yourself in the short term to hopefully find some good opportunities in real estate, just like you would in the markets, but also for your long-term sustainability as well. So in closing, we've done our market review. We talked about the the Fed and Kathy Wood interest rates, the crazy situation in the UK, the improving situation in the supply chain, and also what to expect in the U.S. real estate market. I didn't talk about commercial markets. We will talk about that at another time or maybe towards the beginning of the year. But there are some interesting things bubbling up in the commercial real estate market. There is a reason why a lot of companies are trying to get everybody to come back to the office. But for now, consider joining Blacks Academy because as you can see, we get down in the markets from a technical and fundamental macro perspective. And then there's some more. Our community is growing, not only in our size, but also in our intelligence. So we hope that this monthly market mix was informative and we look to see you soon. Thank you. For more information about our trading and investing courses, visit www.blacks.academy. That's B-L-A-X-E dot academy.